Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. Today, I'm joined by one of my standing co-hosts, Mr. Alex Stewart. Welcome back from vacation. Great to have you here today. Oh, glad to be here. This is a big one. Yeah, man, we're excited. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, and matter of fact, we got so much to talk about. We've been invited to quite a few podcasts that we're going to be on here recently. We'll be plugging those and letting you know. But we were recently just on one for the Chrisman Commentary with Robbie Chrisman from Mortgage Daily News. That's episode 31523. If you get a chance, check that out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, they got all of our opinions on what's going on in the market, what are rates going to do, CPI, this, all the stuff we talk about. But it was great being on that show. So if you get a chance, check that out at the Christmas Commentary on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So let's get what what exactly what we're going to talk about today. And mm-hmm. it's we just had two epic banks collapse. We did a whole episode on that on yep. episode 40. Here we are coming in on part two of that today. We've had CPI readings come in and we've got the looming Federal Reserve. And today we're going to talk about all that. We're also going to talk about how it applies to everybody that's listening to this, the impacts, the fallouts, the ripple effect, but uh, also going to talk about what's kind of looming in the future there mm-hmm. and uh, and what we see coming because, you know, we don't even have a difference of opinion. We, we, we kind of feel like we see exactly what's coming down the pipe here. So let's just go ahead and uh, let's just kind of for those that didn't get a chance to listen to episode 40, here we are, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, collapsed. Uh, we did a whole thing on that. Signature banks collapsed. Uh, we've got some other banks here in the U.S. that are in trouble. First Republic, as we talk, mm-hmm. uh, is fighting uh, stock price basically being deteriorated. Mm-hmm. They've had an infusion of money from other banks saying, hey, listen, we got you. We're going to help you out. Um, but there's still fear in the market of what's going on. And then we've got Credit Suisse over the seas that's had their issues as well. And this is all a domino effect of what we're getting ready to talk about. And, and the reality is, We've had the Federal Reserve raising rates. Mm -hmm. And Alex, you weren't here for the last victory lap, so I'll let you have Mm -hmm. this one. We talked about uh, on episode eight, we talked about, hey, listen, the Federal Reserve cannot continue to raise rates at the rate they're doing without there being some sort of impact. And that impact, we said, they're going to go until they break something. And we specifically said the European Central Bank we said the stock market, or we said the banking system here in America. One of those three things was going to break. We've got, we've got particularly cracks in all three of those right now that are happening right in front of us. Yeah. And so, you know, as we talk about this, is this, is this the tip? Is, are we at the tipping point of a financial crisis right now, Alex? Yeah, I mean, this is a surreal time. I, I remember when it was 2020, 2021, we'd look at the market and we'd be like, this is going to be like record book history-making moments and we're living right through it. Right. We're never going to see this kind of a situation again, most likely. And you don't really appreciate it while it's happening if you don't have that context. And we're in another one of those moments where I look at this and I'm thinking, you know, a lot of us would go back to 08 or 06 or 07, whatever the time frame would be, and you you don't necessarily pin a specific day that you sure. think about. This is one that may be in all of our memories for a long time of, hey, I remember when SVP, went da- when they went down, yep. that was the first domino of many. And, you know, I think you and I both agree, this is probably more of the tip of the iceberg yeah. than it is an isolated event. And, um, you know, it, I, I sort of think about it like a forest fire, right? If there is a fire burning in one part of the state, in one part of the country, that can easily spread to consume everything yeah. if it's not somehow put out. And the biggest thing that I think is um, worth noting that we haven't talked a whole lot about is the speed to response that we're seeing so far, right? Like back in 08, Fed Fed caused a lot of issues, things crashed, and then it took a while. They let it fall down, and then they started to, to well, pick the pieces back up. Yeah, let's back up a little bit here, because one of the things I think that we're missing in all of this is, you know, let's say there's a generation right now that's actually finally understanding what a financial uh, warfare looks like. 
right? Yep. And that is the millennial generation. They have not seen the 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 fallout, if you may, of any type of financial turmoil while working, right? They've right. seen it as a, as a child, but they haven't seen it in the workforce and they haven't seen it in the housing and they haven't seen it in the financials and they haven't seen any of these repercussions of of basically some monetary policy. Right. And now we're starting to see that. So to your point, in 07 and 08, the Federal Reserve maybe didn't step in and the government did, the U.S. Treasury didn't step in soon enough, right. which the domino effect was so rapid. But that domino effect was vastly different than what we're seeing right now. That domino effect was more of a stock market domino effect and collapse of shareholders, 401k accounts. You can't run to the stock market and and physically put your hands on a stock certificate or money. What happened in this case is a, a fear pandemic. Yeah caused people to go, wait a minute, is my cash the thing I need to survive and pay my bills? Is that okay? Sure. And I think it also speaks to uh, what happened right here is how um, fragile, how fragile people's thought processes can be. Because that bank run that happened was completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. We just spoke about that in the last episode. That didn't need to happen. That was a Twitter-infused bank run Mm -hmm. with some people causing some pandemic and pandemonium to their own benefit as they shorted the stock. Yep. But in this case, to your point, the Federal Reserve rushed to help in a much quicker stance in 07 and 08. So go ahead. Right. Ahead. Yeah. And I, and I think we also have a recency bias where we remember 08 and that's what we think is going to exactly happen this time because mm-hmm. it's the most recent thing and it's the thing that's most similar to what we feel like. Um, you know, if you go back in time though, Every one of these things is different, right? Sure. 01 was very different than 08. It was mm-hmm. very different than 91, which was very different than 29, right? Um, every one of these is is a different flavor, has different. So if I know one thing, it's probably that this is going to be different than 08. I, I think you and I are, are – are, we're biased towards housing, but I don't think that we view this as a housing crisis like 08. But, no. it, but it absolutely could be a credit event like 08 where you have a, a significant shock to the financial system. Uh, you know, we didn't have an inflation problem in 08. We have an inflation problem right now. Yep. And, and that's going to totally change how this is approached, right? Because I think what we've been waiting for and what the market's been waiting for is a Fed pivot. Yeah. I think we've got it. Oh, I think it's, it's the start of it. And they're, what's interesting, and we'll talk about this, is the Fed meets and and is going to have a rate decision yeah. next week. I think the market's saying it's either going to be confirmed or denied. Right. They, they've pivoted. And either way, we think at the end of the day, it's probably going to go a certain direction. Yeah, for the record, every time I hear you say pivot right now, I think of that episode of Friends where Ross is carrying the the couch up with Jennifer Aniston and with uh, with, with Chandler. And he's like, pivot. <laughs> and they turn, pivot. And that's yeah. where I think you are right now with the Federal Reserve is that we're at pivot, right? Right. Uh, because we, we both think that they don't have the bravado next week to essentially say, we're going to raise it. Now, we saw the European Central Bank come out of nowhere and raise, but I don't think the Federal Reserve has the bravado to do it because I think our banking system, I think the banking system has its flaws. But I don't think there's a need for pandemonium and panic that we just saw. However, raise it a quarter, uh, that that probably could add more fuel to that fire. I think if we were a month removed from this happening, we could see that quarter raise, maybe a little bit more. But I think being just within a week, nothing. I'm like you. They're going to pivot. Ross is yelling pivot in the background right now, and the Federal Reserve's got to figure it out. So yeah. I agree with you 100% there. Yeah, and I guess in layman terms, just to sort of also say this, when we say that they're going to pivot, think about it like this. They're going to go from trying to put out a fire yep. to putting gasoline on the 
the fire to try to get the fire to come back, right? <laughs> yeah. They have been pouring water on a fire for the last six months, nine right. months to try to get inflation to slow down, to try to slow the economy down because inflation was an issue. Now, all of a sudden, they're going, we might have put this out permanently if we crash this. We need to pour a bunch of stimulant on this thing yep. to, to get it back to going. We're going to EKG that heart rate on those banks. So, so it's going to be interesting Yeah, to let's watch. just talk a little bit about what's happened here. So in the week of SVB right now, you've probably read throughout all the papers and or, you know, internet blogs or news channels. It's, you know, I feel like, you know. The social media. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Tracy Chapman, give them something to talk about is playing in the background. But yep. that's what they've done for the media right now is that we've given them something to talk about. Yep. And so they're going to wear this out and new things will unfold. But in the meantime, you know, we keep talking about inflation because what we want our audience to understand is that's the size silent tax. Yeah. That's the silent tax because, you know, we heard the president come out and go, the taxpayers will burn no bearing of this. They will, they will not, this will not burden them. Yep. You're probably correct in the form. I'm not going to raise your taxes, but the silent tax, that's going to be the implication is because infl- leave no doubt here. We just reinflated the system by every dollar we just put in there. Right. All 200 trillion, boom, raising the inflation. Because we're putting more money back into the monetary system. You know, we got the print presses back open and going here. So that's the silent tax. You're going to bear that burden. You're going to bear that burden at, the, at all different assets of your your check, excuse me, your checking account, your savings account. You know, that money's no longer going to be worth what it is when it's in there because we keep inflating the dollar. Yeah, for instance, just to specify, they lost money and the government's giving money to replace the money they lost. And they're acting as if it came from this fund. And so the money was always over here, so it's not new money. But the reality is... They've said, we're going to make the banks pay for this. And yeah. you and I both have talked many a time of, okay, well, you make the banks pay for this. Guess what? That's going to get passed down to the consumer. That's, right. They're going to pay for that ultimately. Yeah. And so, you know, let's, let's talk about, uh, I think there was a, what is it, a Senator Republican Jeff, excuse me, a Congressman Republican Jeff Jackson out of North Carolina who took to Twitter mm-hmm. and TikTok and, you know, is getting, getting just, you know, all the rave reviews for this two-minute video he did where he actually breaks down all this topic manner of, why they did what they did, the special meeting that happened at 2 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, what they did, how they called it, all this wonderful stuff. And, you know, I think the the idea behind that was to calm the American people down and say, don't go run the banks. That was the, that was the, that was the ending of the message. Sure. But the beginning and the ending of that was, you know, to your point that we talked about earlier for the show is that, you know, they didn't catch this. That's one of the things he keeps saying in that video. We caught this early enough. No, you didn't. You didn't catch it early enough because we got two banks that have collapsed. And, you know, now we're going to have to go ahead and replace those deposits. And in the video, one of the things the president said in this video said is that you, the taxpayers, will not pay a dime in this. This will come from a fund. And, and they were real coy how they said that. That comes from a fund that the banks pay the federal government. Yep. What's that fund called? FDIC, right? It's called the FDIC fund. Yep. Let's call it what it is. And so essentially, just for real quick explanation, when a bank takes a deposit, that's a liability. We've talked about that, right? And the bank has to go take 90% of that and go find a way to hedge that liability to make money in order to pay you money. But they also have to account for about 1%. You know, it's usually a little less than that, but for the tense of this conversation, yep. they take 1% of the total deposits and they put it in the FDIC fund. It's like a rainy day savings account, right? It's, it's exactly, you're, you're paying an emergency for fund. It's an emergency fund, right? Yep. You're throwing into the emergency fund, the default fund. And that's really what it is, right? It's a default fund. Now, what's interesting about that is that they're going to increase that amount for the banks, right? They're going to increase it. Are they going to do a one-time increase? Are they going to do a forever increase from 1% to 2%. What are they going to do? Now, what you're doing is you're putting more cost into the bank now. Right. 
So to your point, the bank is going to not absorb that cost. Yep. They're going to pass that cost down, and they're going to pass it down in some other way. They're going to raise maybe an ATM fee. Yep. Maybe free checking is no longer free checking. I mean, there are all kinds of ways you're going to see that passed into the financial system. The banks are not going to absorb that. Yep. So in a way, the taxpayers are going to absorb that burden. It just won't be in the form of the administration raising your taxes, yep. correct? Yeah, well, and, and interest rates will be higher on mortgages. There Potentially, the savings accounts will yield less, right? We've oh, seen this now yep. where, where the government has a rate of 5%, but your checking account's only giving you three. Well, where's that extra two going, right? Right, and when you say government, you mean the treasury spreads, correct. right? Yeah. Correct. Um, and I think the other thing that people don't recognize, and we've talked about this locally, this is a consolidation phase. This it is, is um, this is a natural phase where we have gone from chaos where there's a bunch of players in the market, profits get squeezed, people go out of business. Now it's a consolidation phase where certain banks are going to get bought up, mm -hmm. they're going to go out of business, and we're going to end up with fewer banks. And this is a, a long-term trend. You look back the last hundred years, we had way more banks that yep. were in, in operation over the history of this that we've slowly consolidated and everybody remembers, right. you know, you were banking with this and now there's a Truist or there was Wachovia and now it's, you know, SunTrust or whatever. Yeah. Right. So let's yeah, put it in perspective here. You know, every industry goes through this cycle and I, you know, right. we'll take two seconds to explain it, but the cycle starts at a level of calmness. Right. And then it goes to innovation. And then from innovation to chaos, yep. from chaos to basically to consolidation, back to calmness. Right. There's a cycle that happens there. Every industry goes through it. And right now we're we're in that consolidation phase before we get back to calmness, yep. right? And there's no time frame on how long this phase could last or, or even the whole cycle. I mean, we've seen cycles happen in six months. We've seen it take six years. Right. But I mean, you and I at the market, so we talk about this all the time. Right. But I mean, you could use the airlines, for example, just, just for our audience to briefly understand. You know, there was a time in the 70s and 80s where you would go to the airlines to book your airline tickets, right? Mm -hmm. And then this, this creative, this innovation phase came about and you had travel agencies, right? right. And then even further in the 90s, those, that innovation was your was your your gnomes, your kayaks, your Expedias, your yeah, Travelocity, travel right? Orbits. And then and then the chaos happened because all these orbits, everything came out, hotels.com, everything came out of there, right? And then the consolidation phase happened and now all those things are owned by really two entities. Yep. And there really aren't travel agents anymore. I mean, there might be a few that exist, but there's really not a lot. It's all been consolidated. But now in the calm phase, most people go back to the airline's website just to buy, just to buy the ticket yeah. direct. Yeah. You're back to where you started, hey, right? Hey, travel advisors may be coming, making a, a resurgent. You never yeah, know, right? You never know, right? So, I mean, but, but that's just an example of how those cycles sure. work. So to your point in our banking cycle, you're seeing the big dogs do the consolidation right now. Well, that that I, I know um, I probably am on a more of a conspiracy side than you are. <laughs> I know um, you are. And and here's what I have have read about, and here's what I think logically is not an unreasonable thing to think. Sure. The JP Morgans of the world encouraging the bigger companies that had accounts at SVP to say, I don't know if you guys have looked lately, but your deposits may not be as safe. You should really consider moving to a bank that's mm -hmm. got a much bigger balance sheet, that's got a longer standing history, that's more stable. And just a little whisper in the air right. can, can be that spark that starts that fire. And at the end of the day, the hard part for the consumer is we're left with fewer choices, which means what? Higher costs. Higher which costs. means less options. You're not going to be able to to have more competition in the market. Mm -hmm. And and ultimately, yeah, the banks are going to pay for it. Well, if there's only five banks left at the end of this, guess what? Not very hard to <laughs> say, okay, well, 
we're all going to go to this sort of a model. Right. And and these are going to be the costs, and there's not as much competition, so we can do that. Yeah, and let me back up and kind of make a point here that, that you're talking about. You know, the J.P. Morgans of the world, they might as well be the poster child for too big to fail. Sure. Right? But I think what the FDIC, the U.S. Treasury, and the federal government and the Federal Reserve just told the general public and every bank, you're all too big to fail. Sure. Because what what they could have done is they could have let that fail. Now, would that have hurt some innocent depositors? Yeah. But when I look at the financials of SVB, only 12% of their deposits were under $250,000. When I look at Signature Bank, only 10% of their total deposits were under $250,000. What I would rather have seen the FDIC do is come in and say, we'll make those depositors hold right away. But then we're going to evaluate some other things going on over here. Because if it's a company, right, if it was one of those major companies, Venmo, Shopify, Etsy, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, they've got to pay people and they've got payrolls that are outstanding. Let's get the payrolls hold. But maybe those individuals, and you know they're out there, that had millions of dollars in an account, that's their own fault. Like you knew the rules of engagement. It was $250,000. Why you had more of that in there leads to question, what were you getting? Like what kind of rate of return were you getting? What kind of special treatment could you have been getting? And why in the heck was that there? Well, and you get lulled to sleep. Thinking yeah. it's safe, right? But well, it's an assumed yeah. it's an assumed risk. You right. can't exactly. Everybody knew that this was the rules of the game. Yeah, they and just don't expect a bank to fail. So a couple of things that are going to happen in two thousand eight, the FDIC insurance model was a hundred thousand per account. Right. They raised it in two thousand nine to two hundred fifty. Probably going to raise it again after this. That's probably what you're going to see happen. They're going to raise it again, and by raising it, they can apply that fee to the fund. And say, listen, right. we need more funds in here because we're raising that amount. That right. makes sense. I could see that happening as well. Sure. So what we've done, though, effectively, is kick the can down the road for inflation, right? And we also just discussed what we think the Federal Reserve is going to do. They're going to pivot, kicking the can down the road furthermore, and that we're going to see further inflationary problems in the next six months unveiled. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com, www.boemortgage.com, because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. Right now, what we're seeing is that we're seeing lagging information come in yep. on, on the index. So right now, it looks like um, it looks like we're not really winning the inflation battle right now. We're not really losing it. We're just kind of stagnant a little bit. But we think it's going to come down a little bit, as we've been saying, because these numbers that are lagging are going to come through in the month of May. And it's going to drop, and it's going to give us this false sense of security, especially on the hills of what just happened, that, hey, we're actually improving things. But just like all roller coasters, when they come down, they go roaring right back up. And I think that's exactly what's about to happen in the fourth quarter, and we'll see it, especially 
if they pivot here. Well, and, and a good way to illustrate this or think about this for the public is a diet and health, right? Mm-hmm. We, can, we can talk about weight gain. If you eat a bunch of trash, you're, you're not going to be fat in an hour, right? right. Like you're not going to be fat in a day. You'll be fat over time if you continue to eat all that stuff. But if you go on a diet yep. for a week, you're also not going to be skinny the next day, right? Like it takes time. And, and what I think happened is the Fed has been chowing down uh, for a long time on this monetary stimulus. And then they go on a six-week diet and think that they can lose all that weight. And then they go back to eating again and think, okay, well, we got to go back to eat because my stomach was really ground and I was right. really kind of moody and all of a sudden I got a headache. Like, that's not not going to work well. And I think, you know— we, And this food and this diet is quantitative easing, quantitative right. tightening. It's, it's printing right. money. Yeah, yep. exactly. And, and, you know, it's funny because we had this scheduled to talk about the CPI given how significant it is. And that report came out, but it was overshadowed by sure. everything that was going on in the week. And, you know— Everybody's heard of that story where there's two wolves on your shoulders and whichever one you feed wins, right? One's positive, one's <laughs> yeah. negative. In here, I think the market's got two wolves and one is, you know, financial collapse and the other is inflationary uh, issues. And they're both battling it out right now, but we've sort of forgotten about this inflation one because right. all of a sudden the one about the financial collapse is barking a lot louder. Sure. Um, but we got those numbers and they were not good. I mean, we're still at 6% inflation. Yep. And if you pivot and you start printing money and you're at 6 it's like I lost two pounds. I weigh four hundred. Let me just go ahead and back to eat. I think I'm making some good progress. Like right. that's not enough. Right. Well, and you know, and I think that I think the example that we're talking about here is we had this whole podcast, as you said, scheduled in advance to the reading of the CPI to talk about and break it down and talk about the impacts to you know the financial markets, real estate, right. and how we can help buyers. I think I think we're at a point right now where you know if you're in the if you're in the real estate game. You're about to see some victories in mortgage interest rates. You're probably already witnessing them right now as we're seeing massive deterioration of the 10-year rate. We're also seeing a little bit of what we call uh, yield control curving happening. And what I mean by that is what got SVB in the the vast of their trouble was investing their assets in long-term bonds, which which would traditionally outrun short-term bonds. But because of what the Federal Reserve was doing at such a rampant rate, it actually put them in a short-term predicament. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing the Fed essentially controlling the curve, mm-hmm. trying to get those short-term interest rates down right. by doing what they're doing right now. And essentially, that's another reason why they're going to have to pivot. They can't raise it. They can't infuse more situations in there. The Fed has come out with their uh, bazooka buyback, is what I call it, mm-hmm. and telling banks that if you have some of these – I'm not going. They're not toxic assets, but if you have some of these hold to maturity bonds that are upside down, we're going to buy them at the value in which you purchased them to get you out of this upside down situation you're in. And you know, and as we chart and look at the ten year treasuries, because that's where most of these upside down bonds are, there's a cliff. It's falling off because the Federal Reserve is buying, buying, buying. I mean, and uh, and we won't get the report till next week of what all they've purchased, but it's got to be trillions of dollars that they're buying right now causing this causing this 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 downward pressure to the 10 years. So, so what I'm getting at for our buyers here, your rates are going to get better. Yep. We've been talking about that. You're probably already seeing some rates in the fives. You're probably witnessing that upper fives at this point, depending on, you know, which lender you're working with. If you're a real estate agent, you've had that person that said, I, I can't do this at six and a half, much less seven. You know, now's the time. This person at five, it's time to go. There it is there. Yep. And I think it's going to be there for a little bit, and, and, and it's just going to be there for a short window. I'm not talking like a week or two weeks, but we could probably see this till the end of July, you know, and, and it could be a huge win for our industry in the, in the mortgage world, in the real estate right. world. Well, and the reason why is because these reports are lagging, right? So it takes time. So yep. this inflation 
just like it didn't show up immediately in the beginning and wasn't an issue very quickly, right? we may see a lag and, and there may be some um, short-term, hey, inflation's coming down because it's going to take a while for this money to make its way through the system. Um, you know, I was smiling at you because I, <laughs> I always love a good analogy. I think it makes uh, makes it easy to understand a lot of complicated things. And right. What came to my head, you'll tell me if this is good or not. This is like SVB had invested in Beanie Babies. <laughs> right at the peak, they bought all the Beanie Babies everywhere and then suddenly they weren't worth anything. And the Fed's coming, okay, I'm going to buy all these Beanie Babies for the price you paid for them, even though nobody wants them and they're going to sit in my attic. To me, that that is a, a way that I think about this stuff, and hopefully that helps the the general public understand what what is actually happening here, and and why that's so ludicrous that they would pay, <laughs> you know, hundreds of dollars for your Princess Diana beanie baby when it's only worth three dollars. And it reminds me of the 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 tulip, sure, bowl, the tulip craze, yeah, the tulip craze in the 1600s and 1700s, the tulip mania as they called it, yeah. You know? And as we've seen, you've heard, you know, the historians tell that story. What we found out is that, you know, the, the craze wasn't necessarily the real deal. And, it, and just like the tulip, you know, mania collapsed. Sure. A lot of people reference that around crypto. You know, a lot of yeah. people reference that around gold. I mean, I've heard it over and over again. Yep. But uh, the reality is we have a history as society and individuals to gravitate towards these crazes, if you may. Sure. And so therefore that bleeds into our business yep. and we do the same thing. Yep. And so I think one of the biggest mistakes at SVB, and again, this is not a political perspective, but they did buy into the hype that there's no recession. Yeah. And that this, you know, if you look at when the bulk of their bonds were purchased in 21, we were being told by Janet Yellen, transitory. This is all yeah. transitory. This is temporary, temporary, temporary. And, you know, and if you, th if you agreed with that thought process and your investment strategy agreed with that thought process, that's probably why they bought those long-term bonds. Because they didn't think this would happen. And they also didn't think and give enough credit to the Federal Reserve stepping in and saying, we're going to raise. And we're going to raise and we're going to raise again. Right. So that, that, that's what kind of put them in a corner here. And I'll go back to you know, what Daniel and I talked about last episode. If there wasn't a run on the bank that was digitally created through social media, that bank would still be in business. Sure. And they would not have been shut down and bailed out. And the bailout wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So think about that for a second, that if people weren't knocking on the doorstep saying, I want my cash, I want my money, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I, I do. I will say this as a counterpoint. I do think if it wasn't them, it was going to be somebody else. If you think about what a zero interest rate policy has done for 10 years, mm -hmm. meaning, um, you know, if you've got money and you want to invest it and everything is only going to give you one or 2% on your money, you should sure. say, well, where can I actually put it to try to try to grow my money? Mm -hmm. There were there was a ton of investment in what's called private equity, meaning I'm going to invest in a private company rather than a public stock or something like that. We haven't even heard anything about that yet, right? And we know that a lot of the projections of what those investments were going to do were based on rates staying really low. Correct. So that, you know, you could really borrow a lot of money. It didn't cost you a lot. You could grow a company really fast and it was going to be worth a lot. I think we've got a lot of the iceberg under the water still with stuff like that where mm – -hmm. You know, treasuries, 
That's actually, like you just said, that's not a toxic asset. <laughs> it's it's just a, it was a bad timing. Um, but the toxic asset absolutely could be, I invested in all these startups. They have absolutely no profit. It only made sense because that was the only place I could put money to actually try to get a return. Yep. And now those profit, those startups are going to go out of business, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we take a look at, you know, here's a, a number and not to freak the audience out, but, you know, there's over $1 trillion dollars with a T, yep. of deposits that are- un- We're so desensitized to right. that, by the I way. Know, like, that doesn't trillion even- trillion dollars, yeah. like, you know, but uh, the reality is there's a trillion dollars that are not insured, meaning the accounts are over $250,000 right. in the United States. And the fund that we refer to is only about $180 billion with the FDIC. So simple math tells us there's a shortage there, right? Yep. And I would challenge there's probably more than a trillion dollars. That's just the quick reporting that we've gotten. I think there's more than that in the financial system because there's $22 trillion in deposits, right? Yep. So you can't you can't believe that you can't think only 5% of them are over. I think there's more than that. And then there's some banks out there that are that are heavily leveraged in over that as well. And so that's why I think the Federal Reserve and the FDIC and the United States Treasury Department set a precedent when they bailed out signature and they bailed out. That's what it was. Let's call it, it's a bailout. You yep. can call it a quasi bailout. You can call it, you know, making depositors whole. It's a bailout any way you look at it because they stepped in and fixed a situation. That's yep. the definition of bailing it out. But when you look at those banks, you know, there's a lot out there that have those uninsured. And so they just set the precedent that we're going to do that for everybody. Sure. And that open up the print presses, whatever it takes. And so the implications of that are this, you're devaluing the dollar when you do that at a rapid rate. I mean, a rapid rate. Right. And the international implications of that, you know, it wasn't too long ago, you and I were sitting on the mic here talking about how strong the U.S. dollar was right. and how, you know, essentially that if you were going to take a trip overseas against the euro, you had buying power. That isn't going to stand for long. Like, and if you look at what we're doing right now, we are devaluing that gold is going up. Right. Your commodities, your hard assets are going up. Real estate. And real estate. And what you find is this, you know, that when people stop losing or, you know, faith in the USD, which is what is happening right now, all of a sudden, other things start to reap the benefit. Gold, silver, housing, commodities, things you can put your hands on. And that is a big, uh, that's a big deal for us because that's going to affect us in our trades. Yep. That's going to affect us in our GDP. That's going to affect us in a lot of things that are going to fuel this tip of the iceberg recession because here's what happened. You have negative GDPs. That's the start, right? That's the definition of it. But you usually are out of a recession or well into one before you realize you're into one because the, the actual economics of it haven't shown up yet. Right. But this is going to show up in a lot of a lot of things for us. We're already seeing oil start to come way down. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of things on this, this radar here that are flashing. Hey, man, we're at a tipping point right now. And that tipping point is – it's going to be big if it tips the wrong way. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's very hard to know what to, to make of a lot of this for the general public. But I think as we look forward to what's going to happen next week, I think we're going to get either confirmation or or a statement of trying to to not confirm yeah. that the Fed's pivot pivoted. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people reference how if you just look at the two-year Treasury, you'll know what the Fed's going to do. Sure. And, and that has gone from being indicating that they were actually going to continue hiking because mm-hmm. interest uh, or inflation was high to now it looks like they'll probably stay put where mm-hmm. they are. If I was a betting man, I just would say, say nothing. We're gonna they're going to just keep yep. it and say, we're just going to sit tight and we're going to see, we're going to evaluate before we make a move either way. Because mm-hmm. if they cut, 
And, and, and anyway, you look back in history, they go up quick and they come down quick. There's sure. not a lot of time sitting flat at the top, right? Yeah. So um, I think we're on the precipice of seeing the Fed cut rates. I think we're on the precipice of seeing a lot of stimulus happen. And the choice politically is a lot easier to say, I'll deal with inflation over here rather than a crisis over there. Yeah, no doubt. And I also think that we're in the midst of getting to a midterm and getting into the election year. And we're starting to see, you know, the impacts of that affect financial decisions right. and, and the monetary policy as well. All of that is going to be very tough to navigate. And to your point, you would rather deal with inflation, <laughs> yeah. pass that buck down, yep. than deal with some of the, than, than hit it head on, yeah. right? Because hitting it head on is going to be painful. Sure. It's not going to be fun. And it's not we politically were, acceptable. Yeah, and we were in the midst of addressing it. We were probably in the midst of doing that all the way through 23. You know, I think what, what we're prepared to wrap our head around, the two of us, is that we're probably in a decade of potential inflationary measures right now. Sure. I mean, if you think about it, we had a decade of very low inflation. And if you also go back to those low levels, the Federal Reserve really could do whatever they wanted at that point. Yep. Raise rates, lower rates. It didn't matter. Inflation, they, they couldn't move the needle. Now, here it is. It's not only been moved, it's off the radar. And it's like, oh, well, wow, how do we get it back? And in the midst of all of that, we also allowed some other organizations that are really important to the financial system get leveraged in the wrong direction, right. and we're making it worse by doing what we're doing. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do on Tuesday and Wednesday. I think mm -hmm. everyone will be glued to that announcement at 2 o'clock when it comes out on Wednesday. But I think what they're going to find is exactly what you're saying. It's going to hit the pause button. You know, worst case scenario, maybe we get a quarter discount and ease a little bit. Maybe. It's, yeah, that's maybe. talk about the dam breaking. If they do yeah. that, every everybody and their mom is going to front run them continuing to get down because they know it's going to go to zero faster than, yeah. than everybody thinks. Um, but let's talk about what people can do going forward. Okay. I mean, I think that's really important. We can talk about all this and we can say 10 years of inflation. But it's really important that we start to think about, okay, what opportunities does this present to us, right? Yes. I mean, and there are a lot of opportunities right. in the market. Right. I mean, how many people have you heard say, I wish I could go back to 08 and buy property? All right? the time. Um, now, keep in mind, things were very different. Property values went down a lot. But this may be the press, the very beginning before property values started to go up dramatically because we know that if there is a lot of inflation, you got to get out of dollars, mm -hmm. out of cash just sitting in the bank, and you got to put that money somewhere where it's going to grow with inflation and keep up, right? So we've talked about I-bonds. We've talked about real estate. Do you have any other recommendations or thoughts of what what people can actually do to hedge against this? Yeah, for me right now, it's real estate. Yep. I think that's the best way you could do it. I mean, if you're going to, you're not going to get a rate of return to hedge. A hedge to me is is counterbalancing the current situation. Right. You might be able to reduce it with like a money market fund or something of that nature, but you're not going to hedge it. Yeah. The 90-day T-bill, I'll continue to stand behind, is a powerhouse right now because yep. every 90 days it matures. So we talk about that hold to maturity. The hold to maturity is 91 days. It replenishes itself. You get the coupon rate. You go again if you want to do it. And those numbers are pretty darn good right now. It's actually leading the pack. Um, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me four here. Four and a half. It's at four and a half. So APY four and a half. So what is that? It's like 1.125 every 90 days. Right. That's pretty darn good, right? There's some checking accounts that aren't even paying that right. permanently. So, um, But for me, the champ in this situation is real estate. Right. Um, and it's hard for me to go back and look. We've got a chart here that was given to us by our friends over at MBS Highway. But you take a look at this. Since 1942, since 1942, there's only been, and I'm going to count it here, five, seven years that real estate was negative. Right. Seven. And of the seven, three of them were below 5%. Yeah. And the big, the, the five-year run where it was like, you know, not good, negative five, negative 12, negative four, 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 
That was during the crisis caused by real estate. So I guess what I'm saying is if I go in here and I look at the highest levels of inflation, and Alex, you've always done a good job of illustrating this, every time we have an inflationary cycle, real estate's the winner. Sure. And if we go back to that really bad, really bad inflationary time that everybody compares what we're in right now, which would be in the late 70s, early 80s, real estate went up 16% in 78 14% in 79, 7% in 80, 5% in 81. Like I look at that and I'm like, the champ is this right here. It's hard to bet against real estate. So the opportunity I think is going to be real estate. I think real estate will be the beneficiary of what we've been talking about. Rates dip, prices go up. Yep. That means values go up. Rates dip, more people run to the market and create demand. And that demand is going to create this run-up of real estate prices because we still have an inventory problem. We well, haven't this solved is a necessity, that. right? This Correct. is not people buying their fifth home because they just want to have a home and they can get a loan yeah. because they have a pulse. This is people trying to find a place to live. Yeah, they're not buying two and, homes. And renting <laughs> is not cheap either, right? right. So, right. Um, yeah, and I think it's also really important that we highlight uh, that – this housing, I think we get in the mindset of stocks, right? And I think especially millennials and after going through COVID, everybody got into stock investing. And that's a volatile, volatile market. Sure. That is one where uh, you can see, and we've seen it in these banks this past week, you can see a 60% change in value in one day. In real estate, you don't see that. No. Right? That's no. that's You cannot equate those two things. They are not alike in that regards. The best years – maybe 20%. The worst years we've seen, maybe down 10, 15%, unless you're in some highly speculative condo in Miami or something well, like that. And right? I mean, we're talking one year. That's right. one year since 1942 right. that it was double digit backwards anywhere. And you only had seven years in whole right. where they lost. And and two of those sevens were at 1%. So I'd call that flat. Right. You know, um, I just think that it's hard. It's hard to argue that. So, you know, obviously we're real estate people. Obviously we're real estate investors. Obviously, you know, we work in the banking business, but the reality is this. We think as a consumer, I can't say it enough. I know we sound like a broker. Now is the time. Like yeah. you need to get into, you know, real estate, whether it's investment, whether it's primary, you need to take advantage of that because you're going to have a window here where if you missed out, you're going to get back into the fives. And if you combine some of these strategies that we've talked about in our lending updates, you might find yourself in the low fours. Right. And you think, and if you get on the front end of this, you're still going to have cooperative sellers. Right. So there's a lot going on there. But um, I would say this, you know, we, we have a lot to unpack from the very beginning of this. There's not a lot to worry about in the form of, in my opinion, the banking system. I did want to stress that. I mean, the SVB wasn't doing anything different than other banks. They just happen to have a run on the, the bank. The counterpoint there is I, I would argue we have a lot to worry about if they're not doing anything different than other banks. Well, no, because, I mean, they're doing exactly – they're doing exactly reporting-wise what they were engaged and allowed to do sure. by the Frank Dodd Act, right? And I think that also their investment strategy – while aggressive in the bond market, there's many a banks that are in the bond market. Yep. And I think there's many a banks that invest and use those deposits to traditionally lend out yep. and get in front of, you know, housing or small business loans, et cetera. But the reality is with all the PPP money, we don't really have a lot of, you know, SBA loans that are being lent out. Um, and a lot of businesses don't need startup money right now because there's so much capitalization in the, in the, in, in the system. And then who, wants to line up to get a rate when it's been in the sevens. Now it's back down. But prior to right now, these were traditionally higher rates. Yeah. So they couldn't lend it out. So they had to go find something else to do with it. So um, I think the strategy 
of buying that many, 50% plus, I think it was like 53% of your assets you're using, I wouldn't have done that. But there are banks that have bought those bonds as well. And we know it because the Federal Reserve just bought them all back. That's why I can say I don't think the banking system's in, I don't think the banking system is is in trouble because the Federal Reserve has opened up the piggy bank and the print press and they said, we will buy all of your assets that that present any type of devalue, we'll buy them at full face value. So that's why I don't think there's a banking system as an issue anymore. I am going to be interested to see if there is regional performance um, differences on real estate, such as these banks that are failing are in New York and California, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We're not seeing rumors or hearing of things in maybe the southeastern region, which has shown a lot of strength in real estate compared to those other two. You know, the California market is one where we know a lot of people are leaving. We know it's a high cost state. We know that there is a lot of industry, the tech industry specifically, that's being affected by this economy. That's the market that I look at nationally and say, they. I don't know that we we have the same rosy, uh, you know, thought about real estate in California like we do in some of the other Fair parts enough. of, of yeah. uh, the country. But that'll be something we'll be watching. Well, you, and and keep track. And of. And you brought up an interesting point. What do those two states typically also have in common with each other, Alex? Their uh, their color. Uh, their well, yeah. I mean, they represent what it is. They they are they are a very democratic yeah. state, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. But there's goes back to that original point. I said that no matter what's and again, I'm not choosing sides here. That's that's a fact. So we're not we're not choosing sides. That's a fact. And upon that fact, it was also the belief that the collapse of SVB and Signature Bank because they bought into the belief systems yeah. of that there's nothing wrong with the economy. I'm going to continue to go back to that. It doesn't matter. I mean, listen. <laughs> Many of other administrations that were red have a lot of errors too. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not pointing out. No one's perfect. Both sides. But what we have is we've had a campaign in 21 that said there's nothing wrong with the economy. Even through 22, the economy is strong. We've heard that over and over again. Even in the opening remarks of the you know State Same. of the Union, we are a, we are a, a country of resiliency and we are moving forward. We've heard all that. There's no recession looming. Uh, inflation is transitory. And I'm not saying they didn't believe that. That's that's the that's where I'm going with this. I'm not saying that they didn't believe it. I'm just saying that that's the belief is being delivered out there. And those two states that you're referring to have some you know banking issues, and you're starting to see those pop up. The signature banks, one of them, mm-hmm. SVB, both in those states. And mm-hmm. so when you talk about regionalized, where does that look at? You know, go to some states that don't necessarily you know have that same representation. Maybe don't believe that or disagree with it. More importantly, maybe their philosophy and how they banked. And their philosophy and how they invested was different. Yeah, absolutely. And they maybe have people that are uh, going to be employed a lot longer and not need the money out of the bank. Right? Yeah. And let's hope that's let's hope that's the case for all the banks right. moving forward here. So I will stand behind. I don't think there's anything wrong with the banking system as we've had it. I, I do think that the appropriate measures were taken to stop anything like that. As we see that the direct beneficiary is going to be the consumer on interest rates if you choose to go get a loan. Yep. But the indirect uh, I guess consequence is going to show up at your bank uh, as those fund fees that the government refers to that are being funded will be passed back down. So it's just a matter of time, probably within the next eight months to a year, so we start seeing that come through. Also, I think the stock market is on pins and needles till Tuesday and Wednesday, yep. and we'll see if the pivot takes place. And uh, you know, we'll be watching as much as you guys, and we'll be back to talk about it. But you know, to kind of switch gears a little bit. 
Um, before we go, I did want to say uh, our next episode that drops is with John Gordon. Mm-hmm. So if you thought that this was a little doom and gloom and some negativity, the next episode will be all positivity, I can promise to you, there because you he is the positive person and uh, the energy bus and, and John Gordon, all the stuff he brings on the show there was amazing on the next one we dropped there. So uh, if you want to listen to this one, follow it up with that one, you'll be ready to go. But Alex, thanks again for being on the show today. Um, if you guys like what you're hearing on here, you know, please share our podcast, uh, share any information that we have out there via Apple or Spotify, as well as our social channels. Uh, it's great having you on the show as always, Alex. I value and appreciate your time. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. I had a lot of fun doing this and looking forward to uh, letting this unfold and being able to hopefully help guide our listeners through it. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Thanks again. Yep. I got one more shot. I'm going to make it. One more chance. I'm going to take it. I meant it when I said it. Now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live. So I put all into it. Yeah.